Well, hello. My name's Sam Swearingen. I am the virgin host <laughs> of Beyond the Shoots, yeah. as presented by Parasite Systems. Yeah. Um, today, we are recording from the rodeo grounds of St. Tite, Quebec. Um, Festival Western. What a wonderful facility they have for us here. It is just outstanding what they've done for us. Uh, it is a 10-day festival. Yes, it they, is. They got it named right. Oh, festival. Festival it, it is party. Very good. Yes. And uh, I am doing uh, something I have never done before. I am now the interviewer instead of the interviewee. And I am interviewing Dougie Doug Doug Simcox. <laughs> I heard that came from a movie from Hollywood Harris. So um, haven't seen it, but uh, welcome, Doug. Glad glad you're here. Well, good to be here with you, Sam. What a what a great adventure we are having. BTC on the road, right beyond the shoots. And I gotta say, before I move on, beautiful shirt you're wearing, rawhide red, for our listeners, rawhide red over your right. Can you tell us what's over your right? Uh, the BTC logo yeah. in black. Yeah. The, the rawhide colors. Yeah. The, the, we had silver in there also, but uh, yeah. um, red and black were pretty much the rawhide colors. Absolutely. So, Doug. Yeah. I would uh, like to ask you a little bit about what your background in life is. You know, you're from Iowa. Yeah. And uh, growing up there in the big farming state uh more corn is grown in iowa the whole it in one county a farmer told me then is grown in all of new york state and there's a lot of corn in new york state so it is uh the farming the breadbasket of the united states so let, let's hear a little bit about your history and what you've done and where you came from. Oh, wow. Great, great big question. I love this. Um, grew up, as you said, in, in, a, in a very small farming community in, in Iowa, actually in a small town called New Hartford, Iowa. There were 32 of us in our graduating class, just to give you a perspective of the size of the class. My, my father grew up on a farm. His father was a farmer. Uh, back in the 50s, mid-50s, they were farming 400 acres. So stock cows and feeder calves and pigs and corn and beans and hay and all of that. So I learned very early, early the, the joy of farming. My father had a small farm. Um, but when my father graduated in 1955 from high school, his father says, I'm done farming. I'm retiring. I'm moving to town. And your father then took over the farm? No, no. My father, I mean, where he, would you get the wherewithal, right? It was a rented farm. Okay. Okay. How do you get started in farming, which was the age-old question when I grew up in Iowa. Um, when I grew up, a lot of my classmates, they made, their, their parents made a good living on 160 acres. And I was, that was going to be my question, you know, farming 400 acres in the 50s yeah. was huge. Uh, huge. You know, because the farmsteads were between 80 and 160 acres is what the government would give people yeah. for, for farmsteads. Yeah. And uh, four, well, 400. Yeah. Yeah. That's a and, lot of ground. And and it's it's a really interesting story. My my grandfather had two boys, one, uh, one three years older than my dad. 
and they divvied up the work. There was chores to be done. There was cows to be milked. There was plow uh, fields to be plowed. And imagine plowing with an AC Alice Chalmers two bottom plow, right? And covering all the acreage. Now that, I don't know, they might've had 240 acres in tillable. Okay, might have had 80 acres in in uh, hay ground. They might have had that much in pasture. I don't know the exact mix, but my grandfather said with the corn, you either haul it to town or you walk it off, meaning you feed your cattle, you Mm -hmm. feed the pigs. Right. And everything was harvested in the ear at that time. There was no combines. Right. You you put it in corn bins. The ears would. uh, husk on them yep. or or yep. off it, it yep. didn't matter so they'd dry so it would keep through the years um there was no bins with nope. shelled corn going nope. in them uh, what uh the tractors and the equipment you used uh yeah i kind of know what it's like those old l shelmer 45 wd-45 wd-45 the international M's riding them across rough plowed fields, it beat on your body. Oh, it did. And those guys just kept going. And yeah. it, it, it's yeah. kind of that, that, and when he says tillable ground, yeah. for the people that don't know, that is about putting corn and um, soybeans and, and that kind of uh, crop in yeah. as yeah. the hay, which stays for a number of years yeah. especially back then back then yeah you absolutely. know now they keep alfalfa in for three years and change it but back then they probably kept it in 10 15 years absolutely and there was rotation on top of that too right mm-hmm. there was no fertilizer there was no chemicals and and you farmed 365 days a year meaning you have the whole hurry of the of the spring Right. You get your corn planted. By the time you get your last field planted, it start to na- it's time now to start cultivating. Yes. And it was all on a schedule. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and how times have changed. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's still on a schedule, but they, they rotate in different things through the winter that they do, uh, you know, cover crops, which was probably never heard of then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they are going back to the rotational like I'm I'm looking into some. Uh, for feeding cattle where they're going back to the what the buffalo did yes they run it over there a huge number on a short period Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and eat the grass right down and fertilize it themselves yeah yeah and uh move on yeah so uh i'm looking at trying some of that in the next couple years yeah absolutely it's a it's interesting how everything evolves yeah and uh, yeah so anyway doug um you got doing some rodeos later in life. Uh, yeah, later in life. But let me let me back up a bit. Um, rodeo was kind of always in the background of what we did. Uh, mm-hmm. So when my when my grandfather moved off uh, the farm in 1955, my father knew he couldn't farm. Went to work at John Deere's, and the first strike they had, which was just a few months after he started, they went on strike. John Deere did. Well, how do you feed your family? right when when you're on strike so he had two uncles at the time that were cutting hair so he went to barber school huh interesting yeah farming to barber school absolutely john deere factory to barber school absolutely and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt he had no interest in working in a factory 
zero interest in doing that. Just to survive. That was a survival technique. Absolutely. And and he went to work for his his uncle in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, And I'm going to say that's when he got into the entertainment business. Because I, I heard my whole life how important it was to have great conversations with the folks that are sitting in your chair. You might have eight people sitting in the chair waiting for a haircut. Everybody needs to be entertained. Okay? It's part of the process. Which today, those eight people would be sitting on their phone being entertained. Absolutely. They Absolutely. don't have that connection you got of it. one-to-one you got it. connection to, to know what they're yep. doing. They're on their phone eliminate in the rest of the world you bet and you bet. uh not always for the better no no so uh that that that's very important here in life but uh with your rodeo in, in uh 1963 yeah you did what well i i might be in 1963 and i don't this is my earliest memories since my memory of my father going to maybe Grundy Center, Iowa, which was probably 40 minutes from where we lived at the time. And he decided he wanted to, to try bareback bronc riding. And I know it was the first time he ever got on a horse at a rodeo. And it was a Bob Barnes rodeo. Which we both have had connections with through the years. Absolutely. So the Barnes family, absolutely. And I don't think it lasted very long. I can't remember a lot. But but what kind of came from that, and and let me back up a little bit. When when my my mom and dad uh, when they were fairly uh, when they were young and they 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 come off the farm, both of them came off farms. Um, my grandfather got into a a riding club, horse riding club, saddle club they called it, Beaver Valley Saddle Club, <laughs> and and they were organized rides. You know, and they'd ride along the Beaver River and they'd they, it just it just was a super social thing. They didn't grow up on horses. Nobody grew up on horses. And my my parents got very into my father's was a great athlete in high school. I mean, a super athlete in high school. So super competitive and needed something to kind of scratch that itch. And he got into horse showing. And I mean, hardcore horse showing. Two horse shows a week. Wow. Oh, no. I mean, and he's working, right, six days a week or whatever it was. And they were barrels and poles, and they were flags, and they were rescue racing. And uh, both my mother and my father went. And my grandfather, who um, at that time built an arena at his at his place in New Hartford, Iowa, out by the railroad tracks, right, had probably six, seven acres, and they put up an arena. Instead of corn. Instead of corn. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of corn. And story goes, he was in the scoop shovel race with my father. And the instruction was, put me on the shovel, don't look back. And, and what it is, the scoop shovel is an old grain shovel, aluminum grain shovel or whatever it was, uh, tied to a lariat, tied to the saddle horn of the horse. And there's a single barrel, right, up up at the end of the arena and you ride up as fast as you can go around that barrel and whoever goes up makes the loops fastest wins yeah and actually i've seen that done a few times when i was very young yeah and it's 
entertaining because they can flap and roll pretty good when they spin around there. But oh, it, it, it is, uh, yeah. For our listeners, there's probably not very many people <laughs> still alive that have heard of the scoop shovel race. Absolutely, <laughs> and and pre pre helmets. <laughs> pre anything pre anything <laughs> and and the instruction was go as hard as you can don't look back i'll be fine <laughs> and the story goes right and they did it and they won lots of horse shows um and and one time i couldn't even tell you the place one time um my father or my grandfather ned was on the scoop shovel and a wreck ensued and he tumbled and and i think maybe cracked or broke some ribs and that was the end of the scoop shovel racing for him he kind of retired at that point now saying that i did see at one of the big rodeos up in canada or out west they do the hide race it's same scenario, just a lot more to hang on to you than bet. a scoop shovel. Oh, my. And you come around the corner, you're yeah. not following the horse. You're out there like a skier behind a boat. Exactly. Okay? And you're yep. getting slingshot around there. And the instruction is, don't look back, just go. And uh, Now, at the rodeo that the Barnes family yeah. was putting on there, yeah. you, you were a young lad. Yeah. Um, knowing... There's, they've had such an impact on the rodeo world, you know, just went everywhere. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. The, the work they have put into their business was you incredible. You Did you get to meet them then, or was it later on in life when you Late, got to Later know? on in life. Okay. We were we were in northeastern Iowa, uh, Cedar Falls, Waterloo area is where I grew up. They were in the northwest side of the state, up around Sioux City, uh, Cherokee, Iowa is where they're from. Okay. And that's, in those days, probably three and a half hours away. Okay. But over the years, much later, when I was rodeoing, got to know Marty and John and Bob and, and just what a great family and really enjoyed, really enjoyed them. Yeah. And some of uh, things you don't know yes i have a lot of family background from iowa oh you do yeah okay um i think my grandfather lived there when he was a young boy really okay um i don't know where we and it must have been up north because they uh there's still relatives in minnesota and oh, wisconsin yeah. okay. and okay out in that area you but bet. uh you bet. originally i think the family was from iowa yeah and why they had moved from the corn state to new york i don't know but it happened and that's oh for sure it, it's it's all good yeah so uh yeah so your horse showing days was more with your father or well, you took on uh, i i did so there was so my grandfather starts this arena has horse shows and and pick up what i would call in today's world probably pick up rodeos oh you got a horse that'll buck you got a you got a bull or a cow or a steer you think will buck and they would put on the rodeo i mean i can remember them building the wood wood shoots i can remember my grandmother on the announcer stand that was up above the shoots uh singing the national anthem and my grandfather was the announcer and I can't remember a lot of it, but yeah, he. And we tapped into that in we, life. We, you you became your grandfather. Well, and he, announced rodeos. Yes. And uh, one of my one of my favorite things. Now, whether it's true or not, I you know the lore goes, the story goes. I was known to be a talker. 
when I was growing up as a young lad in Iowa. And the story goes, we went to um, went to an auction and uh, supposedly the story goes, I was saying, can I, we go eat? Can we go eat? Can we go eat? Right. Right. And my grandfather said, yes. And supposedly bought a calf <laughs> by, uh, during the auction. Uh, I remember that. And, and, uh, he said to me one time, if you ever get paid for talking, Doug, you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> well, I don't know if you made a lot of money, no. but you still talk good. I still, <laughs> I, I did a lot, I've done a lot of talking and that's yeah. absolutely for sure. Mm. So, so my introduction to rodeo, I was maybe three, four years old and they had a calf and at my grandparents, it's during a rodeo. Uh, pick up whatever it was, nothing terribly organized. And one of those where you back all the pickups and the cars around the arena to watch the show. Um, and they put me on a calf. And back then it's two hands, right? And I was told lean forward. <laughs> and, and I didn't probably go maybe a jump and a half. And that might be an exaggeration. Maybe I only went a jump. Uh, and I remember as the story goes, uh, my dad's uncle came to him and said, don't you ever do that to that boy again. <laughs> don't you ever do that. So that was my brief introduction into that. Um, around that time, it shifted, and I got introduced to horses, had ponies. Uh, when I was nine years old, I started training horses. Had a neighbor who had a POA, Pony of America, um, and my dad arranged for me to train him. That was my summer job. I got paid. It was a 30 day training program that he came up with. My father did. And when the horse went back, he'd stop, he'd, he'd, he'd nick rein, he'd back up, you know, the basic stand while you got on all that sort of thing. Um, and I got paid, we charged him $30, a dollar a day for me to ride that horse. <laughs> thought you were rich i you? thought i was rich and what am i going to do with all this <laughs> um and every summer he would he would my father would arrange for me to have a horse or two but slim uh pony of america as time went on um the the fellow that owned that horse keith davis he said would you come show the horse for me would you you know go into local shows so i really ramped up the showing when i'm nine ten years old going to pony of america shows going to going to uh, silver spur which was in hudson which was a half hour away every saturday night every sunday you are somewhere you know musical chairs flags um all of that sort of thing and and slim was a kind of a horse where you could do an all-day show with him meaning you could show him in halter in the morning you could show him in Western Pleasure and Equitation. And then we'd change out his bit, probably put him into something light just so he knew we're in a different game mode now. Uh, and this 56-inch horse, uh, pony, would go out and run against some horses. And that was kind of the mentality back then because you didn't have five or six different horses to take to the shows. No. You know, you had your one versatile horse. Absolutely. And that made them broke animals. Yeah. They yeah. got used. Yeah. And now they're broke for one thing. Yeah. And 
not saying all of them, yeah. don't, don't get me wrong, but the majority of horses are broke for what they want to do. They're like athletes, specialized. You don't put a linebacker out to, to be a defender against a wide receiver. Yep. You know, yep. they might help out, yeah. but they're, they're pretty much specialized, and that's the way the horse world has become. You bet. And, uh, and, and, this, and Slim was 10 times smarter than me at the time. Right. But he could do it all. And and we talk about learning and thinking on this program a lot. Right. And I can remember I'm maybe 10 years old. I'm I'm showing him in Western pleasure. And of course, you 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 lope and you trot and you walk and you turn around and do it the other direction. Then they move move you to the center and you back up and then you're dismissed if you're not in the top. And I kept getting dismissed. Right. What do I know? Right. Yeah. And and they would say, well, he's in the wrong lead. He's in the wrong lead. You know, and I'm like, oh, OK. What's and, the lead? And <laughs> uh, funny you bring that up. That's exactly what it was. And and I come back and the fellow I'm showing it for. I said, Keith, what's a lead? And he tells me and I'm like, oh, well, I can do that. <laughs> but isn't that something without, you know, making assumptions? Well, Everybody knows what a lead is. Well, I didn't. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. Right. And, and you just got on and rode. I just got on and rode. You know. I absolutely did. Um, so continue to train horses and that sort of thing. And I think I was 12 years old and I bought Slim. I paid $350 for him. I've got Ooh. the POA papers. And $350? I remember I had $300 I had to pay three hundred fifty. I don't remember where the other fifty came from, but yeah. we continue to show him. And uh, one of the highlights of Slim, you know, there's always horses that stand out. And my in Kathleen's generation, it's of course Sister, Correct. the horse we got from you. Uh, but I remember it was a Saturday night, um, and and I'd run barrels already. I'd done everything already, and just just the energy was up. I don't know what it was, and. Because of the way they'd classed the show, I had to run against horses. I had to run against the adults. And I remember it's just one of those moments that just absolutely everything clicked. I run into the arena. It's running poles. So you run all the way down to the end pole. And we just dropped in. We ran it back, come the other way. And as the story goes, there was a guy on the end of the arena sitting in his car that had turned on his lights or running into the headlights. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we end up placing second against some very top-notch people. And I would say that was the high-water mark of my horse showing. At 10 years old. At 10. Uh, probably 12 at that point. Okay. But yeah. Now, um, Little Britches Rodeo. Yeah. It, yeah. The more I hear you, the more our backgrounds are very similar. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have known I, this until I, no, now. Yeah. And, uh, did you get an opportunity to Little Britches or high school rodeo or anything of that nature? Yeah. Um, a bit. A bit. And, and there was no real organized. I don't remember Little Britches being around. There was no organized Little Britches rodeo. Um, high school kind of heard of just wasn't around and there wasn't a lot of rodeo people around me okay all the idea of rodeo i had right came from my father 
mm-hmm. right? Came from his experience and, and knowing I wanted to do this. Um, I can remember, maybe I was nine or 10. Uh, we went to, um, there was a, a fair. So there's 99 counties in Iowa. Okay. And each one typically has a fair. And there was a fair in the county we lived next to, which was Butler County. And it was up in Allison, Iowa. And I went up there and got on a calf and ended up riding the calf two handed at this time, Sam. There was no one handed stuff. There was no helmets. There was no flak jackets, no spurs, no chaps for sure. So we're riding. So I'm, I'm up there. Um, and win the calf riding and just because i could uh they had goat tying and i get in the goat tying son of a gun if i don't win the goat tying son of a gun if i'm not the all-around cowboy of that particular single day rodeo so when you talk goat tying i get it so you were the king that day i was oh that was that was incredible at that age it's your that was invincible invincible and i don't know if it paid money i don't know but it was yeah uh but that was kind of my exposure and so go back to showing horses showing horses um i'm a freshman in high school um and somebody says hey are you gonna go to the high school rodeo you ask about high school rodeo and there's a high school rodeo think it might have been the state championships state finals i don't know down around des moines or something uh i can remember going uh to the burke holders if it's two nights before i might have been lucky before i went and he showed me how to put a rigging which was my dad's soft handled bareback rigging he showed me how to put a rigging on his on the on the bronc he had loaded and he talked to me about all the things i had to do put me on it probably went a half a jump maybe a jump i don't know uh that was it and i get on a greyhound bus and i drive three hours or four hours whatever it was it's greyhounds take longer uh get on a greyhound bus and end up at the high school rodeo so tell me about the burke holders that interests me they they were a local i say local probably an hour away um and they were big in rodeo they were contractors and that sort of thing and they would uh, uh they had livestock okay so i was able to get with them and um i was able to get with them and and that was my introduction sam you know now not quite the same as yours where you went out and got on a saddle bronc for the very first time at the high school finals right not okay. quite quite like that you know or you didn't have a saddle fit or whatever it was but i i didn't know anything you know what do you mean lift what do you mean what mark them out what do you even talk back to the lead what are you even talking about yeah and for and once again the the similarities of the past have uh come about but um getting back to whatever you wanted to do in life i i guess you're an accountant by trade so when did you go to college what happened between 12 and 20 yeah yeah great question so when i uh yeah when i was a freshman in high school um again new hartford iowa 32 of us in our graduating class and there were a few avenues that you really really looked at 
uh, go farming, right? Well, what are your connections? Do you have Do you have a family that farms? Do you have a neighbor that'll start you? What do you have from a farming standpoint? Go to work at John Deere's, right? Um, and those were the two main avenues. And I attribute, I made a decision to go to college, right? Uh, first in the family to go. This, this wasn't, right? This wasn't a, a long line of heritage. Farm boys just either went to the farm Absolutely. or went to work. Absolutely. And, and college I, wasn't an option for a lot of them. Right. And I desperately wanted to farm. I love farming. I worked, uh, when I was 10 years old, I was hired by a guy who was baling hay all across the, all across the county. And I was hired and I shuttled loads cause I knew how to drive a tractor. So I wasn't stuck in the mow. I wasn't stuck on the on on the on the uh, hay rack. I was able to drive and stand in the fresh air. Okay, on those ninety days, and you know how warm it gets in a mow hay mow. Yeah. Um, so I hired out pretty early. <laughs> uh, went to work for a neighbor who farmed seven hundred acres at that time. So we're talking late seventies at that time. Um, but anyway, backing up a bit, I had a, you know, it's all about relationships and all about people and, and, and people seeing things in you or giving you advice at the right moment that, that, that was crucial in decision making, right? And I was fortunate. To, fortunately, I didn't want to take home Mac and they had an offering which was typewriting. I could take typewriting. Now, um, Mrs. Amling taught the typewriting. And uh, all manual typewriters, they had electrics, so they wouldn't let me on it because I messed around too much with them. Uh, but you learned to type, right? And it was all about words per minute and all that. I took typewriter one one semester. The next semester, I took typewriter two. Then we got into business machines, which are adding machines. Again, there was no calculators. Abacus. Abacus, <laughs> right? Back in your day. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, you had the, the 10 key, so I learned the 10 key and that sort of thing. And I was probably a junior in high school, and Miss Samling says, I offer a bookkeeping class. I think you might be interested in it. And it was a packet you got. It was a semester long and had checks and deposit tickets, and you could keep the books and all that sort of thing. And I said, this is pretty cool. I really, really like that. So uh, was able to was able to go to school. Um, dad paid the way for the first couple years and decided I wanted to go farming. Okay. Desperately wanted to go farming. I was raising some hogs on the side and that sort of thing. Had an opportunity come up and just desperately loved the idea of farming, loved equipment just forever. Got a question for you. Yeah. Doug. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What did your dad think about paying the way to go to college yeah. to be a farmer because back then you didn't go to college to be a farmer you do no, now no you no, know you no. do now but I, then you didn't you know i can only imagine i i do remember he wasn't terribly happy with it for sure but i think he understood okay i think he understood and um it i don't know it just was something that was so so interesting to me just so it's a lifestyle right and, and back then yeah they didn't, you didn't say, okay, go live your dream. Yeah. It's survive, make That's a right. living, right. take care of your family. You it doesn't matter what you got to do. No. Now it's more, you look at it and say, go live your dream. You know, yeah. we'll help you live your dream the best we can. Yeah. But go live your dream. 
You bet. So you bet. It, it's a different mindset now than what it was back in the Absolutely. 70s and 80s. It's, okay, what are you going to do to make a living to survive? My grandfather always kept asking me that when I was you young. Bet. What are you going to do to survive? So your dad paid for college for yes. a couple of years. Two years, yes, yes. Now you're farming. Yes. How'd that turn out? Um, I farmed for about three years and went broke. Uh, it was during the during the early eighties um, when everything was shutting down. Farms were dropping. Farms were dropping. Bankrupt left and, and right. And I'm swimming upstream. Okay, knowing now what I know then, or knowing then what I know now, you're swimming upstream. I mean, you're borrowing money at eighteen percent, whatever it was, crazy stuff. Loved hogs. Loved raising hogs. Loved loved riding on tractors and equipment. Just just always did, and it was the idea that I really was chasing. Um, economics weren't there, you know. Um, but boy, you know, learned so much in that time period that sometimes just hard work, you know, try, doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It yeah, just it, it just enough. doesn't. Sometimes it's against you from the start. Yeah, and uh, they can say what they want, but just work and try sometimes doesn't cut it. And, and it, you know, I think back on those times and think, could I've been smarter? Could I tried something different? You know, should I've been milking cows instead? And I'm not a cow milker. I'm not built that way. I've milked enough cows to know I'm not a cow milker. Um, so, um, yeah, so met laura my wife um on a blind date uh, we got married nine months after we met uh back to school she must still be blind because she See, you've married above your uh how old pay scale, let me tell absolutely you. many Wonderful people woman. said that Doug, he's a social climber. <laughs> That's for sure. No, a wonderful woman. Oh, absolutely. Blessed to meet her. Blessed to meet her. And, you know, we met when I smelled like hogs, <laughs> you know, and not a lot of future was <laughs> sitting in front of her. Um, but we got married. We moved to town, uh, went to school, went back to school, uh, got serious about things um and ended up graduating uh from college in 1985 and in 1985 nothing going on in iowa farms were collapsing john deere's had severely reduced its size severely cut back and said um you know where are we going to go and in in 1984 we had gone out and visited laura's family who who lives in new england who lives in new hampshire and I can remember loading everything we had in the car, and probably two weeks before that, do we go to Phoenix, which happened to be coming on at that point. A lot of folks from Iowa, college guys, college gals were, were going to Phoenix. That was kind of an area that was growing, and we decided to go to New Hampshire. So, yeah, hindsight being what it is, you go to Phoenix and buy land. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. What it would have done, but... Is as the world turns, you went to New Hampshire. Yeah. And did you get a job in accounting there or did you yes. move on? Answered an ad in the paper. The only time I've answered an ad and gotten a job in my entire career, and I've had a wonderful career. Um so went to work for a for a, a company up there uh nineteen eighty six, January of nineteen eighty six. I can remember, um, and the historians out there will have to figure out the date, but I remember it was the date that I started uh, was the date that the space shuttle blew up. Oh. Okay. And the reason that stands out, the teacher, Krista McCullough, 
uh, was from New Hampshire. She was a student, uh, I'm sorry, a teacher from New Hampshire that had gotten on there. Yeah, very sad day in our history. Absolutely. Uh, beautiful lady. Yes, that, uh, yes. You know, there was, what, seven people? Yes, all yeah. perished in, yeah. Just in a snap instantly. of the fingers. Absolutely. Yeah, when, and I, you watched it live happen. Yeah. And it was like, wow. Yeah. It, it just, wow. Yeah. You know, these people are gone instantly. Yeah. Vaporized. Yeah. 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 Just a just a sad day. Sad you know? day. And what a perspective and as sad as it is, what a perspective to to hold when we think we got problems. Yeah. You know, like yeah. a, a, a snap of the fingers. Mm -hmm. It can it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, you know, snap of the fingers and it's over. Your Absolutely. life has changed. Absolutely. For the worse and sometimes for the better. Absolutely. You know. You know, and, and I will say, if you just listen to, I've listened to your story and Mike's story and all the stories, there's all these intersections or, or, or whys that we come up to, forks in the road, right? Well, if I go left, do I go right? And thank goodness we've taken those turns, I say. And you got to wonder sometimes where would we be <laughs> had we not. You know, and just the just how things unfold. Yeah, it it's almost like, did I go the right way? Did I go the wrong way? Yeah, it's the way you went. It's the way we went, and probably God's plan. Yeah, to go that way. Yeah, and see where you end up. Absolutely, uh, I believe that a hundred percent. And I also believe there are no accidents, right? Well. It, in theory, you know, in the rodeo world, I say, if you're meant to win, you're going to win. That's exactly and if you're right. not, you're not. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You, you move on from it the yeah. next day. Yeah. So uh, getting back to uh, the early 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's when I met you. Yeah. Yeah. And what led to that? Um, we we're living in Concord, New Hampshire. At the time, uh, probably 1989, and we watch a program on a local documentary or whatever about Pond Hill Rodeo, <laughs> right? I remember watching this one weekend. The following weekend, we're up there. It's a weekly Saturday night rodeo. So can I say one thing here? Yes, please. It's almost like history repeats itself with your dad taking your mom to the rodeo with Bob Barnes's. Absolutely. You know, you haven't been doing it for 20 years yeah yeah and now yeah. you're you're back in it yeah. at age 25 oh every bit of that maybe 27 um kathleen is our youngest our daughter is was probably three months old right so ben would be you know maybe three years old <laughs> pack yeah. him in the back of the jeep cherokee I don't even know if I had a rig in Sam. I knew I wanted to go back. You know, I'm going up there. I don't think I even entered the rodeo, was able to get on, didn't have chaps, didn't have just absolutely anything. And go up there and, and again, um, you know, last two jumps, but I met a very important person at that time, which was Billy Porter. He was the clown of that yeah. rodeo. A saddle bronc rider. A saddle bronc rider. Yeah. And we just hit it off. And next thing I know, he's, you know, he's saying, you need to go meet Sam. You need to consider saddle bronc riding. They have a school in Attica. I think it was in the 
spring of 1990 that I roll into Attica, New York with zero knowledge of saddle bronc riding other than what I had watched on TV. It, uh, yeah, I, I'm just floored by the same thing as your father. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you got a boy that's three year old, you got a daughter that's three months old, and you're going getting on horses. Yeah. Oh, I would yeah. cuff somebody right now and say, <laughs> what is wrong yeah. with your mind, man? Yeah. But look at where you've gone to. Look at the people, the connections. So now you come to the school that yeah. my brother and I yeah. are putting yeah. on. Yeah. Um, the thing I remember most about it, the first one, was how helpful you were. You know, at, at schools you do them once or twice a year yeah so how prepared are you yeah you know yeah. i was bringing the livestock so i wasn't worried about that and and people there come with equipment that isn't equipment you yeah. know it's something they somebody gave my the old barn and oh this is my saddle you know and yeah. stuff's breaking and so you got to fix it and you were very helpful so tell us about your adventures at the school and where oh. you went from there oh i absolutely loved it i mean i mean i learned more in in those two days than than i could have ever absorbed in five years right everything from shoot procedure to how to put a how to put a halter on just how to put a halter on a bronc in a in the shoot well seems pretty straightforward yeah this is a pretty wild horse it's a pretty crazy horse and and don't get your face too far over that horse's <laughs> head right unless you end up with a broken nose exactly yeah yeah uh, so how do you how do you put the how do you set the saddle how do you how tight do you put it how far forward do you put it how do you measure a bronchrane right and the thing that I remember which I still there were two concepts that I remember number one practice perfect you you preach that from from the day I met you the second was the basics. What do you mean there's basics? What are you talking about basics? Don't you just get on and hold on, right? And it was all about lift and tuck and mark him out and beat him to the ground. Yeah, the basics of bark riding. Now, that has changed a little bit in the years. <laughs> it has, you know, yeah. you still lift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the tuck has gone away. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They poke their belly out there, and yeah. Lord, I could poke a big belly out there now. Yeah. But it, it, it has changed minutely. Yeah, minu yeah. But still, you lift. And you charge that front, yep. and, and you beat them to the ground. Uh, the physics of if your feet are in that horse's neck before it hits the ground, it can't buck you off. You bet. You bet. You, know, you bet. Sometimes it happens, but uh, yeah. the physics of it, when you break it down the way I have in later years, which I never did it earlier, yeah. but those things still come true. Yeah. And you have to use them in the practice perfect. I'm glad you took away that because practice is – just practice but if you practice perfect it'll get locked in your mind absolutely. and then you can do it every time you get on absolutely so um and i can remember the mark out was everything for me it's like well if i don't do that why even get on the horse right <laughs> it's not going to matter anyway meaning you might go on and ride the horse but you're not going to get a score so how how can you mark them out how can you be solid every single time you know where do you put your feet before you even nod your head uh, you taught us to grab a hold of the saddle with the free hand to keep yourself in position for that first movement and then let go. So you, so the saddle didn't leave you. Correct. <laughs> and that has changed. Yeah. There's, yeah. 
I have seen a few of them do it, but very few do it now because they're falling back and not trying to get to the front. You know, yeah. they're they're yeah. leaning back more. But yeah. the mark out, you're exactly right. And I very seldom miss horses out because it's a zero. Yeah. You know, you poke your chest out. You see the way I rode that horse? And the other guy's counting his money. You're right, right, right. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah I exactly. see the way. You did a good job. Exactly. Thank you. Here, look at this here. Did you see my envelope with the money in it? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so it's it's useless yeah. if, you, if you don't get the money. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so exactly right. So we're living in New Hampshire, and I'm five hours away from anybody that's rodeo-minded, if you will. I can go to Pond Hill for sure, mm -hmm. but there's nobody next door to practice with or to talk about or have that mindset with. Um, and uh, and went around and rode APRA stuff, would get on wherever I could, you know. I remember driving to, to, to a Dave Martin rodeo just to get on. Can I just get on, you know, uh, just trying to get repetitions, if you will. Um, and then, and then in, um, 93, do you have the year, right? I do. Okay. I do. It's not 1992. Like I thought in 93, I met the, the Canadians. Okay. Um, and, and I first met Sylvain Bourgeois, who's been on our, who's been on our show. Right. Uh, he had just come back from the West, probably 10 years younger than me. Uh, met him at a Lyle Sankey show or a school that, the, the PRCA, First Frontier Circuit PRCA had put on. And they were putting emphasis on bronc riding and that sort of thing. So, okay, go get my PRCA permit um, and meet Sylvain. And we just just clicked, just hit it off. And if you listen to that episode, he'll, he'll claim that we traveled together for four years. Um, it was closer to um, two weeks out, out of a single year. <laughs> but we did some pretty pretty cool things um it was my first real rodeo trip we um i remember we uh, uh, there were four of us piled in my my old van and uh, i think it was in um uh, like a 1983 ford van custom converted van right had a bed and captain seats and all that stuff so very very cool and we ended up um uh headed we went to balsam spawn a friday night and then we went to, um, oh gosh, I don't, it was somewhere in Pennsylvania and we could be somewhere darn near every night for two weeks, right? That included Attica, that included Ga um, Gary, New York, it included, and, and at that time you were riding every night at Gary, maybe almost every night, because yeah. I remember there was one night we snuck off and we went to Jefferson, Ohio, and Sylvan won the rodeo. Uh, in the bronc riding, um, what did he say? 28 points? Yeah. Something like that, which tells you what the rest of us were doing. Yeah. Right? Uh, but but what a trip, right? We ended up in North Washington. And can it go back to that? Yeah. The Barnes family from oh. Iowa was yeah. putting on the Gary New York Rodeo yes. plus the Jefferson, Ohio Rodeo. Yes. So the connection goes oh. back to your home Absolutely. state. And North Washington. Yes. And, and Gary, Northwest, absolutely. So got to know them pretty well. Um, the Barnes family, Marty, absolutely, and John. Um, and ended up that year, but just a wonderful, wonderful memories of, of traveling with the French Canadians. Just wonderful memories. The next year, 
1994, which ends up being my last year in competition. Um, I had gone out by myself, connected with the barns, and I rode, I rode rodeo. All uh, you could ride fair fair nights everywhere across, all the way to Iowa from New Hampshire. Ended up in Cherokee, Iowa in 1994. Now, got to know the Barneses. You know, I'd help them load stock. I'd help them, you know, never pack panels for them. There was, there was lines, you know. <laughs> I, had the, I had the skill to pack panels, but I certainly didn't have the will. Or the desire. Or the desire. <laughs> no, no, no. So yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll do a lot of things for yeah. you, you know. Um, but, got again, got to know them very well. Ended up in Cherokee, Iowa on a Sunday. Um, had my folks, I'd gone to my folks, they'd rode up with me, my sisters rode up with me, and I get there, and what bronc do have I drawn? Go ahead. Boy Baloo, all right, the great oh boy. stud <laughs> of Boy Baloo. And um, Bob was there, they had him off in a pen by himself, he's a stud, they brought him in only for the day, kept him completely separated off. And, and folks, I want to let you know this horse is big. Yeah, big horse. Pretty big blue paint. Yeah. And just oh, it, it's got to be intimidating. So go on with it, the story. It was. It was. It was. And I'm all of a sudden I'm a celebrity because I've simply drawn this horse, right? And I remember sitting on the ground working my saddle up, and Bob Barnes comes over and says, "So you drew." Uh, boy blue huh and i'm like uh yeah i did and i'm like mm, here it comes and he said you'll do all right <laughs> and he walked away so he never hassled me he never harried me throughout all of it throughout all my outs with him right connections relationships it all matters not who you know but what you know or where you know or who knows you who knows you exactly right yeah and uh my dealings with Bob, you always try, if you did your job and yeah. stayed out of his way and helped him. You bet. It, it was all good. You bet. You know. You bet. So, uh, so okay, Boy Blue, boy you're blue. strapping your and saddle on remember, this big horse. I set my saddle in, and there's six different sets of hands from the back of the chutes, <laughs> from the arena, all set and everything, and it's just... I'm just like, dang, this never is, had so much help. Oh, perfect. This is, I can remember Derek Clark saying to me, the great bronc rider, Derek Clark, he was there yeah. and he says, here's the deal. Mark him out and get bucked off, miss him out and you might ride him. That was kind of the deal on him. Back to 1990, where well, ain't no sense me coming all this way to miss out a horse. Right. I am. I might make the eight second whistle. But I got nothing, nothing to show for it other than a zero because you missed the horse out. And it was just surreal, Sam. You know, we talk about that zone. We just talk about almost watching yourself as it's going on. I put my feet down to pick up my stirrups and there's two hands in there putting, putting my, not mine, yeah. putting the stirrups on for me. And, and I remember all the basics, all the basics, all the basics, you know, grab a hold of the saddle, hold on. And he reared out, right? That was his start. And if you can hold it, because there's so much power when he hits, if you can hold it, you can mark him out. Typically, they blew out, right, because of the power and everything. I was able to hold it, and I can remember going, dang, 
I'm riding this horse. <laughs> and it was, I probably got bucked off at six and a half, seven seconds, something like that. Uh, there's a little bitty picture that I got of it. You can just barely make out, right? <laughs> but was doing okay and, and, and bucked off. Just stub your toe one time. Well, and my theory is... Uh you said, "Oh, I'm going to ride this I, horse." I think, and so. that's where your mistake well, came in, Bob. So. Because they probably don't so. horses of that caliber don't need yeah. much help. Yeah, and yeah. when you've thought about it, yeah, that's yeah. when it happened. The best ride, one of the best rides I had. I said, "Oh, what are they going to mark me? Slap me on yep. the ground?" Yeah, you know. Yep. But yep. Uh, that that is the mindset. You yep. know, finish. Yes. Finish. Where were then, you? Yeah. Where were you? You weren't with me. Where uh, were you? No. Uh, absolutely. Um, high high water mark. Right. Lessons and oh, and just gosh. incredible feeling. Yeah. I I, yeah. I did yeah. it that far. I marked them out and I rode them that far. So uh, now, um, boy blue. So you moved. Uh, kind of was he your last horse or no no so road boy blue uh he was he was the the last uh how to say this the last uninjured horse uh horse ride that i made oh <laughs> that so, you were uninjured yeah, not the yeah, horse yeah, not the you. horse not the horse so so i'm i'm in i'm in cherokee iowa and i'm headed back home and i'd read i'd entered uh, uniontown pennsylvania another bob barnes rodeo and I remember hitting somewhere across the uh, maybe Ohio, whatever. I called PRCA, you know, and said, what have I drawn? Oh, you've got this bronc and we have this in the bull riding. And I'm like, what? Yeah, we got you entered in the bull ride. I'm like, no, I don't think so. And they go, do you want to protest it? And I said, no, let me let me find out what's going on. Okay, because I knew I hadn't, I hadn't entered. And I get there, and, and it's Marty Barnes, and he says, hey, I entered you in the bull riding. I didn't think I was going to have enough. We ended up with 10, 12 guys. He said, we're okay. But I entered you just in case, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, not a big thing. He said, now we can draw you out. No big deal. And let me explain yeah, yeah. a little bit what Marty was doing. He was yeah. thinking they weren't going to get enough bull riders. So in order to contest it, they yeah. needed five guys. Yes. So if you can't contest it yeah he he's he's got a contract to have bull riding in his rodeo yeah so if he puts you in they can still contest you don't have to get on but you're entered absolutely i've done that in the calf roping at my rodeos yeah believe me roping calves you know but that's where marty's thought was absolutely and it's just a a business move yes so yeah and he said we can draw you out but he says you know pretty good bull not gonna hurt you pretty good bucker i think you'd do all right and i'm like marty i haven't been on a bull in 15 years um i don't have a glove i don't have a rope i don't have bull riding spurs i don't have anything oh we can get you all set up not a problem do you want to ride them and at that <laughs> point helpful. you talk about forks in the road right <laughs> and i'm like ah, that might be kind of fun i don't know so uh, the, the young man that I borrowed the, the bull rope from, um, so I'd done well in the bronc riding that night, um, and it started to rain. It started to rain, and it was so muddy, and they'd had demolition dirt. It was just a muddy, muddy pen by the time the bull riding came around. And young man 
gets on, go, he says, yep, you can borrow all my stuff, but I'm going to go first. Right. And so he does. So he hands me the bull rope and his glove and it's full of mud. And I think I put his spurs on. I don't even remember. And I'm like, what in the world am I going to do with this? How do I, right? And I'm at the time I'm riding Bronx left-handed. So I ride my bull left-handed. Why would you, why right. would you mess it up? Um, and I remember John Constantinople goat. He's pulling me in the buck and shoot, right? And he's pulling me and I'm like, now what do I do? And he goes, oh my God, you really don't know how to ride bulls do you <laughs> meaning how do you wrap how do you do all this stuff and he had he took the tail of the rope after he took the wrap and went across his hand and then he would double it back and bring it back across his hand the tail so when you open the hand there goes the tail right Everything it, was kind, it was his thing and i'm like okay i'll do that <laughs> i'll do that so nod my head out i go i'm i ride the bull the whistle blows the oh. whistle blows. Okay? okay. And I go to get off, always having ridden right-handed, I go to get off to the right. What happens, it jerks me one, just enough to stop my momentum. I get up on the back of the bull butt, right? And he bucks, and I come down, Sam, straight like a lawn dart into the arena. Uh, hit so hard, it flashed white. Ah. oh and i'm like oh my goodness and i get up and marty barnes behind the buck and shoots and he is laughing having the time of his life see i told you you could ride him he says you got to work on your on your get off and he goes i think you need to go to the ambulance i'm like why and i had blood running down my forehead <laughs> um so when i hit in the ground i probably hit a fender off of a lincoln or whatever they were doing in the demolition derby gash my head open right and my neck i'm telling you my neck um so i go to the hospital they stitch me up staple me up whatever they did i end up winning 300 dollars. i think the deductible was 250 dollars for the for the hospital but i'm in the all-around now <laughs> except <laughs> except um oh yeah gary's coming up north all that runs coming up go to the house and sit and the only arrangement I had made when I started rodeo and the only agreement I had made with Laura when I started riding was no bull riding. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Did you forget about that uh, when you said you'd get on? I was feeling pretty heroic when I got on. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't, I don't think that, uh, yeah, so forks in the road, right? So I sit out. Right. And I miss Gary. I miss North Washington. I miss everything. I'm in the standings pretty decent because I'd had a pretty good spring, pretty good early summer. And I decide uh, Labor Day weekend, I decide to go to Rochester. Uh, no, no. Syracuse to the fair. OK. Yeah. And and made it as my first ride back and made a pretty good ride. I don't think I placed, but made a pretty good felt like a first ride back. You know, I wasn't sore. It, it felt okay. It felt like I was doing the basics. And we ended up that same weekend. I think that was a Saturday night. And we traveled to uh, the Catskills to um, to uh, Andy Camp Rodeo. Okay. And I draw Canadian CA Smuggler, your bronc. Okay. Okay. 
um, and feeling good. I mean, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm feeling good. And I ride him. The whistle blows. And he, he, he starts to go down. I remember he's starting to fall. I grab my saddle to stay close to the horse as he goes down catches himself and pivots me from the hard right side to the hard left side and I haven't let go and he launches me and I can remember being in the air saying tuck 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 you need to tuck <laughs> tuck and roll tuck, tuck your head roll. tuck your head and I hit so hard on the on my shoulder and my neck I hit so incredibly hard I remember I got up and I couldn't hear Mm. And a steer wrestler climbs over the fence and comes and gets me and takes me out. And I can't hear, right? Um, and my hearing did come back later. And so I ended up going home and I sat out till the finals. <laughs> no more rodeos yeah. till the finals. Um, go to the finals, have an okay finals, and was able to qualify by process of elimination because if you won the circuit or you won the finals you got to go to Pocatello and at that time you know I didn't win the circuit finals didn't win the, the circuit but was up enough that they said oh you're you're the third alternate you're, alternate next alternate. in line yeah to go. you're next in line so um get on the plane fly from New Hampshire to Cleveland Ohio ride in the gun uh no Right in the arena south of the city, Richmond, Rich, Richmond. Yeah, where the Cleveland Cavaliers, where the Cavaliers play. play. Absolutely. Yeah. Rode there on a Saturday night, get on a plane and fly to, fly to Pocatello and roomed with John and Marty Barnes. Oh. They were my roommates. Who laughed at you when you hit on your head. They did. They did. <laughs> um, so I, I, ride my, I ride my first bronc. And Jimmy Grasso was out there with me, and he says, Doug, we can go to, and I rode pretty decent, you know, not going to set the world on fire from scoring and all that, but rode pretty good, was feeling good. And he said, we can go to Sean Davis's school while we're out here. Right, Sean Davis, very, very famous saddle bronc rider. Amazing. Amazing. His story. Yep. Somebody should get that on here. Yep. His story is incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. We may we may want to reach out to him. Yep. Seriously. Yep. So anyway, we go out there, and um, I just wanted to meet him. Great guy. Great guy. And he says, oh, sit in your saddle. Show me. And I had spent months trying to just get everything mechanically right with the saddle. He goes, oh, you're riding too, too long. You need to shorten up. And I was riding a touch long. But the mechanics were working. I could, you know, I wasn't binding up. I wasn't shutting me down, you know, mechanically. And I'm like, okay, and change it. I don't even think I got on a bronc there. Maybe a buck, bucking machine, right? So we travel back the three, four hours back to Pocatello, get on my next horse, and mark him. I mean, high flying, coming out. Perfect mark out, you know, bails out of there. At that point, I'd learned the finesse of hitting them at the top. Okay. All right. For the yep. mark out, right, to mm -hmm. hold them the, to hold them the best. Made a great mark out, went out there, couldn't move my feet, bucked off, landed on my shoulder. Two days later, I'm walking through the airport carrying my saddle, and my right arm goes numb. Hmm. And similar to what Eli is going through right now finally get to an MRI and everything and they said yeah nothing ruptured but uh, one of your discs is uh, protruding 
right? And they said we can, and working with neurosurgeons, right, getting the right information at the right, right time, um, we, um, uh, uh, they were able to put me in traction and get rid of, get rid of it over time. Uh, and when I say my arm went numb, that wasn't completely true. You ever hit your elbow? Yeah. And that, that's what it felt like. And I'm trying to work. I've got a career still, you know, trying to put it all together. Um, and, and at that point made decision, that's enough. So Pocatello was my last brawl. 1995. And in Sean Davis's defense, they rode more that way. They did. They, oh, it, it had involved to be looser yes. and, and go, but yeah. um, I could never ride short because it, it was just like you said, it bound me up. But it yes. was like, mm, you, and they must have turned loose or rode over top of the saddle a little bit. But uh, yeah, what he did, he tried to help, but it was something that you weren't used to and it changed completely. Right, and, right, uh, right, right. But, so, but you know, I mean, lessons in life. What you were doing was working, maybe not perfect, but you'd learned the lessons that got you there. Learned that too short, I, I get bound up just the way I'm built, just the way the saddle work, just whatever. Why would I change it? <laughs> I'm, I'm 22 hours from home, right? Maybe more than that. Maybe 40 hours yeah, from home. Yeah, it's about 40 hours yeah, out yeah, to Pocatello. Maybe 40 hours from home, yeah. I drove it one time, flew yeah. it the rest. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. it didn't make sense. Didn't make sense, yeah. so... Why would you, I don't know, one of those decisions and probably in retrospect, thank goodness I did, or I wouldn't have been able to move on to the to the next elements. So what was your next thing in life? What did you, 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 you have quit riding bucking yeah, horses yeah, now. Yeah. Definitely quit riding bulls. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Now, now you go back to work and just. Well, I'm, I'm working the whole time through. Okay, I never stopped working used all my vacation time to go rodeo to do that two-week adventure every summer you know every summer two summers um so went back to work absolutely uh tried to be a director that that you know representing first frontier in the in the saddle bronc ride not not really my style um and i think we'll do this in in a in a future conversation but Thank goodness you and I had stayed in contact. Thank goodness we had the relationship. Um, and, yeah, so the next the next element was uh, you calling me and saying, hey, do you, want to do, a, do you want to announce a rodeo? And I think your words are something. I'm probably paraphrasing. Uh, do you remember what you, what you said when you called me? Well, I believe it was something like you like to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> never uh, shut up when we drove, so you <laughs> ought to be able to do this. I think were your exact words. And I took that as a very positive uh, sign. Uh, yeah, and yeah. what your grandfather said. Channeled, well, he had passed away by then, but channeled my grandfather. Isn't mm. that funny how things come, come round and round in this life? So the announcing is another story for another day. What a, cause what a great career. What a, yeah. What an exciting time. And, uh, announcing, I'm sure let you meet lots of folks, lots of people. Oh my goodness. And, and go places you wouldn't even have, uh, thought of. Yeah, absolutely. And it so. quite frankly, after I retired, it's what led to the podcasting. You know, you, you made a comment. So I want to know or who, you know, it's who knows you. 
And I'm fortunate that I met a lot of really good people when I was when I was announcing, and we'll get a little bit deeper into that. But these people are picking up the phone when I call them and say, hey, would you mind being on a podcast that we're just trying to get started? And uh, personally, getting started, I think this has gone extremely well. And I appreciate you coming on here, Doug, and talking to me for the first time sitting in the boss's chair. Uh, oh, what an opportunity for me. You have done so, an excellent job. So, Mr. Dougie Doug Doug Doug, yes, I uh, hope you have a r- wonderful Festival Western. Yes, yes. And uh, take away the people that you get to see that you haven't seen for years yeah, and enjoy yeah, yeah. what the good Lord has given us. You bet. You bet. You know, this year, like all the years associated with rodeo, we just make memories. And this time in our life, we have the time to make more. Isn't that great? Yep. Isn't that excellent? And again, thank you to Sylvain and, and PJ just for being such great hosts and inviting us up here, Sam. This is pretty spectacular. Yeah, and who knows where this goes. Now, after doing it, I can see a, a future of coming here and doing this I agree. I agree. for many years to come. Yeah, and um, I think I think you being in the hosting chair a little bit more would really improve uh, your bronc. I'm sorry, your game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not getting on Bronx ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm not much of a talker or entertainer, but uh, it's it's much easier when you know somebody and know Absolutely. what they've been through. And uh, yeah, yeah. we'll have to go back sometime and look at the similarities of uh, oh goodness, growing up yes. between us yeah. at different parts of the country. You bet. But thank you so much for coming aboard here today, Doug. And uh, we'll. My pleasure. We'll hope to uh, bring it to the people. Yes. And take us home, Sam. Take us home. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Shoots. This is Sam Swearingen. And Doug Simcox. <laughs> thank you for listening.